is the person that he claimed to be. It means that Jesus has the power that he claimed to have. It means that Jesus did what he promised he was going to do. And so with that being said, we said, well, what does Christ's resurrection matter to me? What is the big deal about Easter? And we related the fact that it means that my past sins can be forgiven. That's good news. Because I can't speak for you, but my sins are a bunch. Amen. It's good news to know that my past sins can be forgiven. But it also means that I can cope with my present problems. I don't know about you, but I got issues. Amen. I got issues, all right? Maybe you do too. Well, it means that I can cope with my issues. But it also means that I can be secure with my future. And so as Jesus has been gloriously resurrected, uh, it's good news not only for those reasons, but Jesus also came to encourage his disciples. Think about it. They were in a very, very low place. And they were discouraged. They were uh, angry. They were perhaps upset. And so it's good to know that Jesus not only came to show us that death has been defeated and people can be saved and my sins can be forgiven and I can cope with my problems and my future secure, it also means that I can be encouraged. Encouraged even in the face of difficult struggles. As the week went on, one mother watched as her son became more and more discouraged. By the end of the week, that boy had lost his desire to even get out of bed. She heard his alarm from his bedroom one day, but the boy kept slapping the snooze button. Anybody done that before? Just keep slapping that snooze button. Well, finally, after about three or four snoozes, Mama went in and said, Son, it's time to get up. And so he peeked through his covers and he said, Give me one good reason why I should get up. And she said, I'll give you three. One, it's Sunday, it's time for church. Two, you're 43 years old and you know better. And three, you're the pastor and everybody's expecting you. You see, we all need encouragement. Even pastors and leaders and people you expect to be up all the time, they need encouragement. And in the book of 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, God gives us some much-needed encouragement that we can share with other people when they're in the midst of struggles. Now, you may not be going through a struggle in your life right now, and that's good. But if you're not now, you probably will soon, so this message is for you. Now, even if you're not going through a, a struggle right now, can I tell you, you probably know somebody who is. Amen? You ain't got to look for, far to find somebody who's having a difficult go of it. So follow along with me in the book of 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1. And I'm going to start right from the beginning of the Bible, or the beginning of that chapter, and share with you. So follow along with me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's encouraging enough, amen? Because if I got grace from God and I got peace from God, I should be encouraged, amen? Let me keep going. He says to these Thessalonians, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, 
as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations which you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and give to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished. Kind of scary. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that some Christians seem to have more problems than others? Amen? Uh, it's like on Hee Haw, uh, if it weren't for bad luck, they'd have no luck at all. Amen? It seems like they always have troubles. But then on the other hand, there's other Christians that seem like, man, everything goes their way. Man, they don't never have problems. They don't never go through a trying time. It may be for you that you have asked God to reveal to you why you're going through a struggle. It may be that God is speaking to one of your friends and, and they're wanting to know, God, why? Why am I going through this tribulation? And maybe you've asked God to search your heart to reveal any willful sin in your life, but he shows you zip. Nothing. It may be that you see absolutely no reason for the struggle you're going through. It may be that while you know you're not perfect, you do know that, hey, I'm trying. I'm trying to follow the Lord Jesus, and I'm trying to be obedient to God. Yet the problems persist. I want to begin this morning by telling you that it is not wrong to ask God why. Because every one of our struggles, for every trial, there is a purpose. Did you hear that? For every rough time you've gone through, for every difficult trial you're going through, and for everything you're going to face, there is a purpose. And God has not been caught off guard by what you're facing. God has not been caught off guard. It's no surprise to him that you're going through what you're going through. Even Christ on the cross asked God, why have I been forsaken? When it seemed that his father had turned his back on him. When the sins of humanity were laid 
on his body. So Paul writes this second letter, the second letter to this Thessalonian church. And the reason that he writes the second letter to these believers is because ever since the first letter, all those troubles and all those persecutions and all that suffering, it hasn't diminished. It hadn't gotten better. In fact, it's only greatly increased. Hadn't got better. It's got a whole lot worse. For this church family that Paul felt like had the ideal church filled with the ideal disciples. So in the first chapter of this book of 2 Thessalonians, Paul inspires his suffering friends. But he does something else through the power of the Spirit of God. He provides you and I three ways that we can encourage people around us. People around us need to be encouraged. And they're looking to you because encouraged people encourage people. Can you say that with me? Encouraged people encourage people. Right? So how are we going to do that, Bill? How are we going to encourage people? Well, first of all, I believe that this chapter shows us that we need to encourage them with praise. I got a phone call yesterday from one of our dear, wonderful saints here at church. And she called me up and, and she said, Brother Bill, I just wanted to thank you. And I said, oh, yeah, for what? She said, well, you know, you said that really nice thing about me in Bible study. And I said, yeah, yeah. But I didn't. I didn't know what she was talking about. But she was so blessed. Whatever it was I said, she was so encouraged. She was so lifted up. And so Paul tells us, and I tell you, let us encourage people with praise. Chuck Swindoll says this, encourage one another. He said many times a word of praise, a word of thanks, a word of appreciation, a word of cheer can keep people on their feet. What wonderful power words of praise have. And so Paul begins by praising God for what God was doing in the lives of this Thessalonian church. These people who are so dearly persecuted and suffering. So as these Thessalonian believers are enduring suffering, they're enduring persecution, they're enduring all kinds of troubles from all different directions, can I tell you, they probably didn't feel very spiritual. See, there's a misnomer in the world today that, man, if you're going through struggles, man, you must not be very close to God. You're going through a tribulation, well, man, you must not have much faith. Well, they probably didn't feel very spiritual through all they were going through. They probably didn't feel like they were being very effective as a, as a church family. They probably didn't feel like they were making much of a difference in their community. But Paul saw what God was doing. He saw what God was doing in their lives and also through their church. You see, you and I are probably the worst ones to judge ourselves. We are the worst ones to try and evaluate the effectiveness of our own Christian lives. Most times, our own expectations are so high, we could never get there. We're, they're, the right now, we have expectations for the right now, the right here. And sometimes those expectations are just far too high. Often it's other people, though. Other people are looking at your life. Other people are seeing you. Other people are seeing what God is doing in you, what God is doing through you. 
while we miss it altogether. So let's look at how Paul praises his friends. He begins by saying, hey guys, cheer up. Your faith is growing. Look at there in verse uh, 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Be encouraged. Your faith is growing. Have you ever heard that a faith that's not tested cannot be trusted? A faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted? Let me ask you this, for you married folk out there. If I asked you on your wedding day, do you trust the person you're marrying, you would say yes. I trust them. I trust them because A, they are promising me to be faithful. They are giving me their word that they're going to be faithful. And they are pledging themselves to me, heart, mind, soul, and strength. But if I asked you years later the same question, you'd probably answer differently. You wouldn't say, I trust him because he made a promise. You'd say, I trust her because she has proven herself. You'd say, I trust her because she's passed the test and proven herself faithful. You'd say, he has stood the test of time. Friends, can I tell you that for you, Jesus has stood the test of time. He has remained faithful to you all your life. And if you're going through a struggle, if you're going through a challenge, I want you to know that Jesus is faithful to you and will never turn his back on you. He never abandons his own. He never unadopts his kids. Amen? Once you're his, you're his for all time. You've heard that song? Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him o'er and o'er. Your Jesus is faithful, friend. He is faithful. He'll never leave you. Friends, our faith can grow. Our faith can increase, but only as it's tested. So if you want your faith to grow, then you need to willingly yield to the tests that come your way. New believers have got to come to the place where they expect their faith to be tested. They got to expect some struggle. They got to expect some people to come against them when they come to Christ. Why? Because their faith is going to be tried. Their faith is going to be tested because that's the way God proves if it's real. That's the way God proves if it's genuine. You see, faith is a whole lot like a muscle. Faith is like a muscle and it must be exercised in order to grow stronger. If you don't exercise your faith, it's going to stay plateaued. It's going to stay the same all your life. Troubles and persecution are God's favorite exercises. To grow your faith and to strengthen you, God is going to throw some trials at you. He's going to permit some persecution to come your way because he wants your faith to be strong. Faith can grow, but it's got to be exercised. It's got to be stretched, if you will, in order for it to grow stronger. So, Friend, if your life is a constant piece of cake, if everything about your life is easy, then you know what? Your faith is likely to be very shallow. Paul told his friends, y'all listen, your faith is being tested. Obviously, God has found you worthy 
to be trusted. But he also praised them in a different way, not only by telling them that their faith was growing, he also said, hey guys, your love is abounding. Look what he said in verse 3. We bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith is growing exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Now that word abounds gives us a picture of an overflowing river, a river that is overflowing its banks onto the land on either side of it. And when we are saved through faith in Christ, God puts his love right here. He puts his love in our hearts. But what causes that, that love of God to overflow its banks? What causes it to go into the lives of other people? Here's your answer. Suffering. Persecution. Troubles. Tribulation. Friend, if I started telling you, you can no longer come to church or I'm going to put you in jail. Those of you of genuine faith, you're going to find a way. We're going to meet down in the basement, down, down in Lake Bethel down there, amen? You're going to find a way. If I say, all right, that's it, guys. You're no longer allowed to have Bibles in your possession. What are you going to do? You're going to get one of those little pocket Bibles. You're going to put it in your pocket. If I tell you revival's not possible, you're going to say, at whatever the cost, we need spiritual awakening. And often, for revival to come in the church, it comes at the hands of persecution. So those of you that are praying for revival, and I pray that you are, without knowing it, you're also praying for persecution. Because when persecution comes, we're going to get up off our tails, and we're going to start sharing the gospel, and we're going to get real with God. And it will abound now, some people react wrong when trouble comes their way. They grow bitter when things don't go their way. You ever done that? Amen. We all have. But God has a good word for those bad days when you get like that. Instead of growing bitter, how about growing better? Amen. How about yielding to the temptation, yielding to that trial, and allowing it to do its perfect work in your life? Grow better. When your heart's hurting, when you feel like you've been knocked down, friend, there is no better therapy than for you to reach out to other people. When we're in the midst of our pity party and we want the woe is me attitude going on, there's no better therapy for you than to cut off the pity party and hit the road and go see somebody else that's going through a struggle that's bigger and worse than yours. Paul praised his friends. He said, your faith is growing. He praised his friends and he said, man, your love is abounding. Can't you see it? See, when Christians have a hard time, their faith grows upward and their love grows outward. Paul says, can't you see it? Can't you see what God's doing in you? Can't you see what God's wanting to do through you? But he also says, look here, even through your trials, your witness is shining. Look there in verse 4. So that we also ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations which you endure. That word endure, it simply means you got to keep on keeping on. Amen? You keep on keeping on. Bitterness will lead you to give up. Enduring will lead you to endure the trial and allow your faith to be strengthened 
and to give you hope for the future that's coming. So whatever you do, don't give up hope. God is at work in your life. God is at work at Bethel Baptist Church. And friends, I just want to encourage you that your faith is growing and your love is abounding, but your witness is shining. Other people are seeing it. They're seeing God in you. They're seeing God through you. That's what Paul was saying to this persecuted church. You may not see it clearly right now, but you will someday. One day you'll see it because you can trust and you can believe that God is at work in you and God is at work through you. Make no mistake, friend. God don't make no mistakes. He's at work in his people. You know, few people have suffered like Job suffered. Even though Job could see no rhyme, even though Job could see no reason for his pain, here's what he said. Though he slay me, I will trust him. God may take my life, but it don't matter. I trust him. What a witness that is, amen? If you got that kind of witness, hey, it don't matter what comes my way. It don't matter what the persecution, what the struggle, what the heartache. It don't matter because I trust God. What a witness that is. Friends, trials are designed to make our faith grow upward, our love grow outward, and our hope go onward. That is what God has done in your life. So just as these troubled Thessalonians were encouraged by praise, you and I should also encourage other people by using praise. Why? Because encouraged people encourage people. Say that with me. Encouraged people encourage people. Amen? That's what we're called to do. So we encourage others with praise, but we can also encourage them with promise. See, when most people are experiencing suffering, when most people are experiencing pain and struggle and trouble, they think, man, God don't love me no more. God has turned his back on me. He don't love me. But can I tell you this morning that just the opposite is true? He's closer to you in the struggle than he is in the mountaintop. In fact, did you know that suffering is a part of God's plan for you? Boy, Christians don't like to hear that business, do we? Listen to what Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says. For to you, talking about this Christian church in Philippi, it has been granted, gifted, if you will, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but here it comes, but also to suffer for his sake. You've been gifted with your suffering. Y'all liking that? Yeah, we all love that, don't we? No, we don't love that at all. But no matter how difficult your present circumstances may be, we can all be assured of a secure and glorious outcome because God is in control of our suffering. The fact is, how you act in the midst of your struggle, how you act in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of your, your difficulties, proves to others who you trust or who you don't trust. Amen. So do you believe that God will do what he says he'll do? Do you believe, friend, that God keeps his word? Do you believe that God keeps his promises? I pray you do. I want to share with you quickly three promises that he gives 
for our encouragement and for the encouragement of people we know. One, God promises a reward. In verse 5, he said, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be, here it comes, counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. This reward is one of God's purposes for our life in permitting suffering. He allows suffering in order for us to glean the reward. Suffering is what proves our faith is genuine. It's what proves that it's real. It's what proves that it's the genuine article. Now, this does not suggest that we earn the right to heaven through suffering. I've heard people say that. Man, I've suffered here on earth. I know that I'm going to heaven. Well, that's not the way it works, amen? The only way you go into heaven is by placing your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, period. But here's what God does promise. He promises that if you'll hang in there, if you'll hang in there for his sake, you'll be among those who reign with Christ when he comes back. You'll be among those who stand with Jesus when he comes back in his kingdom. Listen to what second, or 1 Timothy chapter 2 says in the Living Bible. It's interesting. It says, if we think that our present service for him is hard, just remember that someday you'll sit with Jesus. Someday you'll rule with Jesus. But if you give up when troubles come our way and we turn away from Christ, he'll turn away from us too. Be encouraged by God's promise of reward. But also let us be encouraged by God's promise of repayment. Check this out in verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation, with affliction, those who trouble you. In verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of God and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. God promises. He's going to take care of business. God promises he'll take care of those who hinder his servants. God promises he'll repay those who hinder us as we seek to glorify him. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Now, they may not receive their repayment in this life, but God promises those who persecute his people will receive what is called the cup of God's wrath. I don't know what that looks like, but I don't want no part of it. Amen? But I want to point out here that there are two other groups, and this is important. There are two other groups who will receive God's righteous judgment. Paul says in verse 8 there, those who do not know God will receive his wrath. That is, those who have rejected the knowledge of the true God as revealed in creation, as revealed in the conscience of men and women. But there's a second group, and it's those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is that? That is people who have heard the good news that Jesus saved, but they reject it. The Bible says they're going to be punished. And so we need to get the word out there. We need to let people know the good news of Jesus Christ and that they need to receive that. But you know, many people that do come to Christ, they ask a question, man, why would I want to live a godly life 
when I face the prospect of suffering. Well, as Christians, we have to remember that we don't just live for the here and now. We don't just live for the present, friend. We live for the there and then. We live for eternity, and eternity is a whole lot longer than our life here on earth. Amen? Be encouraged, friend. We walk by faith in the unseen, not by sight in the seen. So be encouraged by the promise that God's going to reward and God will repay. That's his business. But also, be encouraged by the fact that God's going to bring you rest. The promise of rest. Look in verse 7. And he'll give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels when he comes in that day. Friend, as Christians living for eternity, and that's what we're looking at, it's comforting to know that whatever struggle I'm going through for my faith, there's going to be a day I'm going to be able to rest. No more struggles. No more tribulation. No more worries. No more anxiety. No more fears. No more sin. No more tribulations. We don't know exactly how these guys, these Thessalonians, were suffering. But if I had to say, I'm sure many of them had been arrested for their faith. I'd say that many of them had been thrown in jail for their faith. Many of them were beaten for their faith. Many of them were murdered for their faith. I'm sure that many of them uh, had their homes confiscated. I'm sure that many of them had their rights denied. I'm sure many of them endured the same kind of suffering like Christians do in communist dictatorships and Muslim nations. You know that Christian churches are being torn down by the Chinese military? By the hundreds? Do you know that Christians are being beheaded in Muslim nations because they won't turn their back on Christ? And we look at our suffering and we say, oh, somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody ridiculed me because I was a Christian. Friend, the day is coming where we will suffer for our faith. Don't you know that these folks got weary? Don't you know they got tired of doing good? Don't you know they got tired of walking with a high standard of Christian living? I mean, do you ever get tired of this whole Christian thing and just say, you know what, I'm tired of it? Scripture tells us, encourages us, to keep fighting the fight. Keep walking the walk. Keep running the race. Because one day God's going to give you rest. So we're reminded to encourage those who are struggling around us by praising them and reminding them of God's many, many promises. But finally this afternoon, we should also encourage people around us with prayer. Can you think of a greater way to encourage somebody, to help somebody, than to ask our Heavenly Father to encourage them? You know, we, we pray and we say, oh God, bless so-and-so. Lord, help so-and-so, they're hurting. Lord, um, Lord, heal them. 
Lord, mend their broken relationship. Oh, Lord, um, help, help them to start acting right. Help my child to start walking with you. But how many times do we say, God, would you encourage them? They're awfully down right now. They're struggling emotionally right now. God, would you step in and encourage them today? Friend, I don't think there's any better way to help somebody in their time of need. When Paul prayed, he prayed for the people he led to Jesus in three ways. One, he prayed for their worthiness. Very quickly, look at verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. You see, trials don't make a person. Trials reveal what the person's made of. Did you hear that? Say amen if you heard that. Trials don't make you, they reveal what you're made of, right? So when your faith is tried, your worth is revealed. When your faith is tested, the worthiness of that faith is made genuine. Listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 6. He said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I pray that you can say, I've been counted worthy. Even in the midst of my struggles, even in the midst of my trials I've been found worthy but Paul also prayed for their work not only their worthiness there at the end of verse 11 he continued on to say and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power you see we're not just saved to save us from hell that's a good thing amen but that's not the only reason we're saved we're saved to serve True faith will manifest itself in some kind of action, some kind of godly action. And our work doesn't come from what we can do. It comes by what God can do through us. So, friend, I want to encourage you to allow the power of God to be manifest in you and through you. Friend, are you working for the Lord? Are you working for the Lord? Are you serving God? Finally, Paul also prayed for their witness. Look in verse 12, and we'll be done. And may the Lord, oh, wrong one, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus comes for his own people, that's me and you, he promises that we will be glorified with himself. That's good news. But can I tell you that Jesus can be glorified in you now? You ain't got to wait for Jesus to come get you. God, Jesus can be glorified in you today. He can be glorified in you this week. He can be glorified in you in this family, this church family, this community, this, this state of Alabama. God can be glorified in you. Linda Middlebrooks sent me a Facebook post that said, this do what makes you happy culture. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This do-what-makes-you-happy culture is so toxic for Christians. 
We are not called to do what makes me happy. We are called to do what glorifies God. Christianity is not always sunshine. Christianity is not always happiness. It's hard work and it's dedication to God, not to us. So, do what glorifies God. Did you hear that? Say yes. Say it with me. Do what glorifies God. One more time. Do what glorifies God. You do that, and you'll be a blessing to somebody. You'll encourage somebody. See, this life that you live may be the only gospel that some lost person out there sees. Do what glorifies God. Friend, is are people seeing Jesus in you? Are people seeing Jesus in you? You may say, Bill, how can people see Jesus in me when I don't even know him myself? There are people here that are probably like that. Today, God's word will tell you how you can fix that problem. Listen to what Paul wrote, interestingly enough, to a group of believers. He said, but what does it say? Let's all stand and sing.